Good morning. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to all of you joining us online, too. I pray that today uh, proves to be profitable for you. This is our final week in our series, It's Ordinary to be Extraordinary. I'm excited about uh, what God has for us today. But I, I want to stop, first of all, and say thank you, Jesus, for the Arts Festival because it brings rain every year. Amen? <laughs> Praise be to God. I don't know about the Arts Festival, but I, I love that the rain comes. So, at any rate, um, as I begin to prepare this message here over the last few weeks, I reflected on several of the funerals that I've done recently here at Grace Point. And one of the things I've noticed, and it's been a, a great encouragement to me, is especially with some of these older saints, is that they've walked with Jesus a long time. And though it's a sad moment of departure, the family's full of joy, of assurance that that person knows Jesus and is going home. And they've lived a life of what I would call long obedience in the right direction. They've followed Jesus hard. When I come to the end of my days, what I would like uh, to be known as is, is one who followed hard after Jesus. In fact, if I write something on my tombstone, all I want written on there is, he followed hard after Jesus. And I, I, are you with me on this? I, I just pray that we all kind of had that simple kind of thought today because what I'm going to get into uh, with you this morning is really about following hard after Jesus. Um, and we're going to use Esther as our example from the Old Testament to learn vicariously from today. Um, following after God is, uh, hard is a great goal to have, but sometimes we go, how does that look? How do I really do it? The situation I'm in is confusing where I maybe don't even know how to follow hard after Jesus. Esther is a great learning opportunity of what it means to follow hard after God in the midst of a culture that's very confusing. So let me begin by giving you our big thought uh, today. Follow God in all circumstances. If, if I was to kind of sum up uh, Esther's life, it was following God in all life circumstances. You ever have problems with your computer not working? Like it does strange things and starts having strange notes show up on the screen. Uh, anybody ever have that problem with their computer? Uh, I have a 1998 Camry and every now and then like its little teeny brain just doesn't work. And it'll start putting on error messages on the console. Um, you know what I do whenever my computer starts acting up or the Camry starts acting up? What do you think I do? Disconnect the battery, unplug the computer from power, turn it off. Let it rest, especially if you disconnect the battery, just let it rest for 15 minutes. Hey, if you don't learn anything else today, you can learn this. If your car's acting up electronically, just disconnect the battery for a while, reconnect it, and about 90% of the time, it reboots itself and everything works right. Amen? And uh, I think sometimes with us, as, as the people of God, we have this tendency to get almost frenzied and all these confusing messages going on, and we overload, and things don't seem to, to, to quite work right. You need to take a breath. You need to just relax. And you need to reboot. And your reboot needs to be that you follow hard after Jesus no matter what you're going through. Amen? That, that needs to be a reboot. Um, I love this little think bubble that Vicki has. I think she actually got it from Pastor Dave. It's a, it's a little think bubble and it says this. Hold on. I need to overthink this. 
Anybody relate to that? I mean, I could have this baby floating around above my head all day long and it'd be very applicable. Hold on, let me overthink this and then I'll get back to you, amen? And I think this is us a lot of times when, when it comes to just life in general, we, 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 we overthink. And I think what I want you to have as a, as a baseline, a reboot kind of thing is this. I just need to follow hard after Jesus. And so what we're gonna do is look at this case of Esther today and, and her, her life is anything but simple, but she followed hard after Jesus. So let's begin with this reflection thought. Is following Jesus your default setting in life? No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, is following Jesus what your goal is? Is it your reboot? Is it your, your basic logic uh, to life? And that's what I pray uh, it becomes. Esther had to deal with several not-so-clear situations in her life, but she always defaulted to following after God hard. Now, the book of Esther opens with this prideful king Xerxes of Persia and Media, bringing together all the military leaders and nobles and princes for this 180-day display of his vast wealth and his majesty. This guy was narcissistic. This guy was an egomaniac. This guy was self-centered, uh, uh, like nothing we would really could, you know, conceptualize in, in, in our day. Now, after he has this big display for 180 days, then he has a seven-day party. He has his banquet, and he's partying with his friends. At the same time, Queen Vasti, his queen, is having a party for her girlfriends in the palace. And all this is going on, so these people are partying really hard. At the end of the seven days, his prideful uh, king says, I have a really good idea. I think I'll bring in my beautiful queen wife and put a crown on her head and put her on display for everybody to see. Now, if you've been married for a while, men, do you think this is a good idea? No, it's not a good idea. And Vasti says, no, I won't come in. Now the king doesn't know what to do because his queen has said no to him and he's pretty much full of vain glory. He does not take no very well. So he calls his advisors in and says, you know what, let's get together and let's overthink this thing, amen? And come up with a plan. So his advisor said, listen, you can't let her get away with this. Because if she gets away with this, every woman who's in our kingdom will start doing this to their husbands. And we'll have discord and all this chaos going on. So you've got to deal with her. You've got to remove her as queen. And get yourself a new queen. And that's what he did. And he removed Vasti and gave her royal position then to somebody else. But then he doesn't have a queen. So this is where our story of Esther really begins today. And I'm going to begin by reading Esther chapter 2, verses 5 through 14. The king is now looking for a new queen. Okay, here we go. Now there was in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jar, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. So, and this young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So, so get this, she's an orphan. She's had that experience of being an orphan, okay? Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. 
She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth through the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women. Six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take uh, with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem in the care of Shasgas, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless, she was, uh, unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. Okay, do we live in times that are crazy right now? Yeah, do you think that? Do you look at a call to say, this is crazy, right? Do you think Esther lived in times that were crazy? Come on, 12 months? Really? I wonder what the king's doing. I wonder how good looking he is, amen? I mean, the, these women had to go through this crazy procedure to get their turn to be with the king. And she's placed in this predicament. And I'm going to tell you, it was an uncomfortable predicament. Esther was thrust into a life I think she did not imagine. I mean, what little girl grows up and say, I want to be in a harem when I grow up? If your girl has that going on, see a counselor, amen? So being in the harem was not her dream. I mean, it was not the dream of a Jewish young woman uh, to be in the king's harem. But God had a bigger purpose and a plan for her life, and he was going to use this for the salvation of his people, which we'll see in a few moments as I get into the message more. But what I want to focus on in, in this uh, message in particular is that Esther was constantly following God in the midst of very ungodly uh, circumstances. She's one of my favorite Bible heroes, by the way, if you want to call her that. I, she's one of the figures that I look to frequently and, and get encouragement from. So she's part of this harem of this vain, egomaniac king. And um, when Esther got her turn uh, to, to be with him, listen to her attitude. I don't know how your attitude would have been. I would have been going, are you serious? This is crazy. Who, come, who came up with this kind of stuff? I, I, would, I would have a hard time with this. I don't know about you all. What would you do? Would you think, good, life is good. I'm just going to go along with this? But listen to what Esther uh, demonstrated as an attitude. I'm going to read now from Esther chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Listen to this. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihel, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Asti. So how did she win this favor? This is a, a, a difficult thought I'm going to share with you right now, but hang in there with me, okay? Because I know we Americans are very independent, and we struggle with authority figures in our lives. But I want you to hear this principle, okay? Hear this principle. Following God is often doing what those in authority ask you to do. 
I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment. Because we struggle with that, don't we? Unless it violates God's ways. Frequently, if you want to be in God's will, you'll follow those in authority over you. Unless it violates God's ways. Esther listened to and followed those who were over her. I'm going to give you two ways she did that. First of all, she listened to Haggai, the one in charge of all the women. We're told that. And I'm thinking, you're in a harem. You're going to go with this king. I mean, wow, this is tough stuff. Yet she listened to Haggai. She's in a situation I'm sure she didn't want to be in, didn't look forward to, but she had this humility and submission to authority that was disarming, and she won people over because of this attitude, including the king himself. And he became, and she became his queen. So I want you to think on this. I want you to reflect on this because I think we Christians need to hear this word now. What I'm about to say to you, you need to hear this because it's contrary to everything you get taught in our culture that we live in. Hear what I'm about to say. You don't have to have positional power to be used mightily in God's plans. You don't have to have the right president. You don't have to have the right representative. You don't have to be the executive. You don't have to be the CEO, whatever, to have influence and power in the Lord. You don't have to have positional power to be used mightily in God's plans. So how do you think we do, Christian community, in this regard? I'm letting it be quiet on purpose. Do we submit to our authorities very well? Are we known as that kind of a people? Do we fight over the wrong kinds of things? Over secondary issues? Do we declare rights frequently? Now, I understand we live in a country where we're, we're free. And we should hold that freedom in high regard. I think people are, are, are too willing to give up freedoms for comfort and perceived security. But I'm not going to go there because I don't have time the message. But I think we also lose our witness very quickly when we fight over the wrong kinds of things. And we don't keep the main things the main things. So how do you do personally in this regard? I know this. As a young follower in Jesus, when I was really cutting my teeth on, on biblical truth and beginning to say, I need to do all this, when I begin to go to college and then get into a job at 3M, I know that Esther and people like David, when his submission to Saul, uh, who was an ungodly leader too, and David still submitted to him, I know that Esther, they deeply influenced me in how I viewed authority over me. And I tell you what, if you want to be in God's will, you submit to the authority over you until they ask you to do something that is against God's word. Amen? Are you hearing me on this? That is a great position of influence and power. God works mightily from the margins. We did a whole series about how God works from the margins. Oftentimes, he whittles numbers down. He doesn't need numbers. He doesn't need man's help to succeed. He needs willing followers who follow after him hard, who submit to him. And oftentimes, that submission looks merely like submitting to the authority over you unless they ask you to violate something that is, is in God's word. Amen? 
Are you with me on this? This is extraordinarily important to get because that's what Esther did and that's why she was able to influence people uh, so well. Um, But here's the second aspect of Esther that impresses me almost more than what I just shared with you. Even in her success, Esther continued to follow Mordecai's instructions. She embraced the counsel of this godly source. Now, some people think if I was more successful, if I was more influential, if I had more resources, then I could follow God more. I could be more obedient. It doesn't work that way at all. If you can't follow God in the small things, if you can't follow God when you don't have much, when you have great success, and when you have lots of things and lots of influence and lots of money, it's harder to follow him. Amen? I had a really wise boss, I was fortunate, who mentored me as a young man for about six years when I first began to work. And he would say hard things to me constantly. But I remember him saying to me frequently, Steve, if you don't follow God in the small things, you won't follow him when the big things come up. It's just the way it is. And he even talked to me about giving. And uh, I remember telling him, uh, Vicky was, when I married Vicky, she was light years ahead of me in her faith. So we're going to college. Any of you go to college? Do you have a lot of money? I had no money. I was doing it on my own. She was doing it on her own. We were married and we were putting ourselves through college. We made $10,000 a year and we were paying $6,000 a year in college funds. Are you adding this up? So that left us $4,000 to live on. Guess what my wife said we needed to do? Tithe. And I, I mean, I was a math major to start with. And went into engineering. I got this pretty fast. I said, $10,000? $10, How are we going to do it? And, I, and, and we did it. We, and and, and I, I, it worked. I don't know how it worked. To this day, it's God's hand on you. And I remember Ron saying to me over and over again, that very principle, if you won't follow him in that regard, then when you're making 100000 you won't do it. If you're making 200000 you'll never do it. You just won't do it. So you can't wait to be successful to be obedient. You have to be obedient in the small things. And then when you're successful, you've got to remain obedient. Amen? Um, so this orphan girl goes through this harem experience. Wrap your head around that for a minute. Do you ever think, I have a rough life? This orphan girl ends up in the harem, spends a year preparing to see this king, and I'm sure he wasn't that good looking. I'm just going to say that. Amen? And she ends up the winner. But was she? (laughs) I don't know. She ends up being the queen. But all the success God was going to use to position her to do a mighty act of salvation for his people, the Jews. And what we have to realize in life is this linkage. The more you get and the more success you experience, the more God is positioning you to what? Be usable in his kingdom. Are you getting that linkage? And we have to see that linkage here. Um, I'm going to summarize super quickly what happens now in the book Esther. So her cousin Mordecai overhears a plot to kill the king and reports it to Esther. The plot's... uh, you know, foiled, and Mordecai uh, is recorded as the one who, who foiled this plan of assassination. Just hold that in your brain for a moment. Now on the scene comes this guy named Haman, and he's raised up the second in command of all the kingdom under the king, and Haman 
take, it goes to his head, and as he goes out, he expects everyone to bow and pay him homage. But guess who won't do that? Mordecai. He won't bow and he won't pay homage to this guy. This drives Haman nuts when he finds out about it, and he sees it for himself, and he gets really, really mad at, at Mordecai. And he says, who is this? And they say, well, he's a Jew. And he, so Haman wasn't satisfied with just killing off Mordecai. He wanted to kill off all the Jews. So he devises a plan uh, to do that very thing. Well, as he's devising this plan, the king calls in Haman and says, how would you honor somebody that needed to really be honored and blah, blah, blah. And Haman thinks he's talking about him, but he's talking about Mordecai. It's ironic. And he, and he says, well, she prayed him around town. And he said, good, you do that. You go find Mordecai, the one that Haman now wants to kill and all those people. And you prayed him around town. And in the meantime, Haman had made all these plans to wipe out the Jews. He got the king convinced to set aside a certain day where the Jews could be killed because he's saying they're subversive to the kingdom and they could be plundered. And so all this is going on. And and now we're beginning to see why Esther has been placed where she's been placed. Um, She's been put in a position because she now has the king's ear to stop this plan of Haman's to destroy the Jewish people. So Mordecai sends her a message saying, listen, you've got to go to the king and beg for mercy for the Jews. And um, she sent back a message to Mordecai saying, I can't go in there uninvited. In fact, here's what she said in, in Esther chapter 4, verse 11. Listen to this. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends a gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. She's saying, we got a problem here. I just can't waltz in and talk to the king. I just can't do that. He could kill me. So Mordecai's asking her to do something that had personal peril. That if he didn't receive her, she was dead. It was a big decision. Um, and Esther was faced with this pivotal moment. Do I obey? Do I go? Do I talk to the king? Or do I not? And then Mordecai sends these words to her. And I call it the pivotal point of the book of Esther. It's, it's Esther chapter 4, verse 14. And he says this. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. See, All situations in life are opportunities to follow God. All of our situations we have in our lives, are you getting this, are opportunities to follow God. We're always faced with that question. That's always what lies in front of us. And Esther had the ear of the king and she was positioned to stop the annihilation of the Jews. Now, I want to take a little little tangent from the story. So just hang in there with me. Do you realize that we're all such a time people like Esther were for such a time as this. Amen? Listen, Jesus people, we're for such a time as this. We can't stay silent right now. We can't be apathetic right now. We can't just hope things blow over and get better right now. That's not who we are. We're such a time people, just like Esther was such a time people. We're called to live our Christianity out loud, without shame. We're supposed to be uh, people who are living so loudly for Jesus that those around us know we're Jesus freak. Amen? Amen? That we follow Jesus. That's who we are. 
We're for such a time as this. This is not the time to be silent. It's not the time to be apathetic. And Esther was placed in a position to stop the annihilation of the Jews. She couldn't be silent. Mordecai is saying, you've got to rise up. You've got to be a follower of God. You, you've got to, 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 to uh, save the Jews from this annihilation. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, watching TV. I don't know if you ever do this. I wasn't really watching it. I was using it as my nookie to put me to sleep because um, I can't suck on my thumb or I don't have a nookie. Anyway, I'm just watching it, kind of falling asleep, and I f- just kind of flipped it onto this uh, channel that's a paid advertisement thing that goes on constantly, and it was 60 music. And uh, I grew up in the 60s, so uh, I thought, well, I'll listen to a little bit of this. I remember all these songs that are going on, and it got the one song I, I particularly remembered, um, What the World Needs Now is love, sweet love. That's just not what there's not enough of. I don't know how it goes. But anyway, you follow what I'm saying? And I thought, oh, I remember that song. Because we were living during the Vietnam era. People were really tired of war. They were really tired of all the discord, uh, the racial stuff that was going on then, still going on now, what's going on. Everyone was just tired of all this hating. And so this band came out and said, what we need now is love, sweet love. Unfortunately, that wasn't godly love that we were talking about. And the 60s became known as a generation of free love and started the disintegration of the family, if you really look at it. We think it's disintegrating now. No, some of the last nails are being put in the coffin right now to the family identity. It began back in the 60s in earnest. There was just, this free love just was destructive uh, to the family. Um, but what, you know what, I, I want to sing a song, people of God. What the world needs now is to see us, people of God, loving God and loving one another. I'm so tired of us being reactive. I'm so tired of us saying, how do we be against this thing or against this thing. I want to be for some things. And first of all, if we're going to be influential in our culture during this time, we got to love God, amen? They got it. The world needs to see us loving God recklessly without any shame or without any any reservation. We got to love our God. And we got to be known as that that person that's way out there. If you don't want that, that nomenclature to be associated with you, you're not a person for such a time as we live in. We just got to love God. And you know what else we got to do? We got to love one another. We're told in the Bible they'll know us by our love for one another. We got to quit beating each other up and destroying each other. Now, I understand there's a lot of what I would call heretical teaching out there. I'm not saying love that. I'm saying, Grace Point, love each other. Amen? Because that's going to witness to people. I remember when I first became a Christ follower... And I've shared this story a little bit before. Get married to Vicky. I grew up in, in a home that I didn't experience a lot of that mom, dad, love thing. You know, I didn't know anything about it. And I remember watching one of the pastors just watching him love his wife and asking him questions like, you really love her, don't you? And he said, yeah, why? And, and he would talk to me. He was very patient with me. But you know what spoke to me about Tom's life was how much he loved his wife. And I think sometimes we don't understand the power of that, amen? Of just loving God and loving one another. It's so powerful in a world that's desperately seeking love. It doesn't mean we accept and overlook those things contrary to God, because that's not true love. We say hard things. I have some kids. I say hard things to my kids at times. I still do. 
I'll still say what I think even if they disagree with me. Amen? Some of you guys know what that's like, right? Kids get older, they think for themselves. That's good. That's cool. They just think wrong still. So I'm just joking. That's a terrible joke. Praying they're not watching this video. So anyway, that's not, that's not true. But, um, but you know, um, now is not the time for God's people to be silent. But we have to be vocal in the right kind of way. With humility and with true love of God driving us. So are you willing to be a such a time as this person like Queen Esther? That's my question to you today. Are you willing to be that kind of person? Such a time people step into the issues of their day. But they do so with the love of God and the love of other people driving them. But they'll say the hard things. Amen? Because that's love. So I begin to think about this in terms of the modern day issues that we're facing right now. And I thought, okay, we just went through this Pride Month thing. And flags are flowing downtown at the flagpole stations. What should our response be? Well, um, we're going to get into this in just a moment. But I think first response should be that we pray. That's the first response Esther did. We'll see that in just a moment. But every time I see something like that, rather than getting all mad and getting, should I, should I protest, should I write a letter, blah, 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 I think, you know what? God, your word says you're mighty to pull down strongholds. You, you are the one that we're to call on, that every pretense and every thing that exalts itself against you would be torn down. So what I, I, I thought, you know, we're created in the image of, of God, male and female. Do you understand? It says male and female. We're created in the image of God, male and female, and it was good. So what I do is I pray. I use the very thing that Satan intends to destroy lives with. I use that to become the catalyst in my life to pray. That's where we start. I know some people say, is that a plan? Yes! Yes, that's a plan, people of God. We need to pray, amen? Because who does the work? Us or God? Yeah, we got to pray. So I use that as a, as a point of prayer. Um, you know what? There's issues in our day that drive me nuts. Abortion forever has driven me nuts. Because I love kids. It breaks my heart. And I know that all these women that go through this are desperate and they don't know and that just... It breaks them to pray. Pray that their eyes would be open and the value of the child that they're carrying would be seen and that they, that they would see that. And for those that have gone through, pray for them that they would be healed and that God would do a miraculous work in their lives. And then, you know what, we got to pray because right now there's an indoctrination taking place in our children. And they're getting indoctrinated into all this junk that's destructive, amen? Pray, be involved, be vocal. We live in a secular culture right now. Secular humanism is our religion. Um, it's the state religion. Amen? It really is. We've got to pray that these strongholds will be torn down. We still have racial tensions and we still have poverty and the only solution is Jesus. Are you with me on this? There's no political solution because you can't politicize someone into thinking right. We're completely divided as a nation. There's no political. The only solution is an awakening, a movement of God, something radical that just grabs people. I went through this, a Jesus people movement. Some of you went through some of these movements. It just radically changed me. And you know, I was in the Twin Cities. Does the Twin Cities need a Jesus people movement right now? Yes! It swept through us. I was one of those young people that got swept into that thing. It changed me forever. God, awaken us. Amen. God, awaken people. 
We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray because we cannot navigate these things. Jesus is at the home. He needs to navigate them. So listen to Esther's reply to Mordecai in chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 15 through 16. Listen to this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and protest. No. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That girl had some courage. Big time. Here's a perspective. There comes a time when you have to take a stand. And you may have to suffer consequences. But that's bathed in prayer. Right now, our culture's on this slippery slope. It's, like I said, I really think it began a long time ago. And it's reminded me of this little story I used to read to my kids when they were young. Anybody remember this story? If you give a mouse a cookie, it's like our favorite story. It's the story of a slippery slope. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a straw. And then he's going to want a mirror so he can see his mustache. And when he sees his mustache, he's going to want hair trimmers because he needs a trim. And then you're going to have to give him a broom. I got the thing memorized. I read it a thousand times. It's a great book to teach your kids actually on slippery slope thinking. Are we in a slippery slope situation right now? Try to say slippery slope five times in a row. Amen? So I am going to give this book away right now to this guy sitting here in the front with the little kids. There you go. Give your mouse a cookie. You can read it. Last hour, I said, raise your hand. And a couple people came forward and said, I don't have enough books. So at any rate. Um, so we are in the slippery slope situation. And Christ followers, Jesus people, uh, you know, beloved of the Lord Jesus, we have to pray, 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 and we have to not be silent. We have to speak and be unashamed of the gospel, but we have to do so with humility under the authorities that are over us. We submit to them unless there's a problem, amen? And then we don't submit when it's ungodliness, but we do so understanding that we may have to take consequences, amen, that are hard. Are you with me on all this? And if we live like that, we're going to live this really powerful victorious life in Jesus Christ. So let's get to the end of this story here. Um, the king responded favorably to Esther. Um, she takes him through a couple uh, meals, and then she reveals Haman's plan to him. So she, he extended her to the scepter. She comes in, and then she says, look, I'm going to invite you. She's a smart girl. You know, way to a man's heart to his stomach. Amen, right? You know, we always say those little cliche things. But she feeds him a couple meals, and she's softening the king up. And then she says, and the king says, what do you want? She says, fat man there. Amen. He's trying to kill me and my people. And the king was so mad, he left the room. And then Haman throws himself on his on. on Esther to be begging for mercy. And I love how the king says, now you're going to molest my wife in front of me too? You know, and then Haman was hanged on the gallows that was intended for Mordecai. And the day that was intended to wipe out the Jews became a day where, where the king said the Jews can fight for themselves. And it became a, a great moment of victory for the Jewish people. So listen to this conclusion. Sometimes we're just one step of obedience away from experiencing a mighty move of God in our lives. I want you to hear that. Sometimes we're just one step of obedience away. Just doing one right thing. Just following God hard, even when it's hard to follow him. We're just one step away from experiencing some mighty move of God. So Esther's obedience led then to the deliverance of the Jews and an annual celebration called Purim that they still celebrate to today.
So with that thought, I'm going to end today and we're going to pray. And I'm going to turn this back over to Pastor Kyle. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, I want to thank you for Esther and for her example for us. As we finish out this series, it's ordinary to be extraordinary. Uh, here you go. You've got an orphan girl, a, a Jewess. Nothing special about her other than she was very good looking. And uh, I mean, I can't imagine the process of being taken into a harem and then having to prepare for a year to go be with a king that you don't even know. I mean, talk about, wow. But then you took that ordinary kind of thing and look at the extraordinary outcome. You raised up a, a queen, Lord, that had the ear of this very vainglory king. And uh, you used her, Lord, uh, to save your people, uh, the Jews at that time. And God, I, I, I know a lot of us think we're just super ordinary and what can we possibly do in this life to make a difference? Well, we can follow hard after you, Jesus, in all circumstances. We begin there. We begin with the small things. We begin to seek you daily. We begin to pray. We begin to read your word. We begin to memorize your word. We begin to apply Christian principles and how we raise our children and how we work, Lord. And I, I you know sometimes it begins by just being submissive to the authority over us unless they ask us to violate something that's clearly uh, against your word, Lord. I just pray that we become those kind of people first. I pray that instead of being against a bunch of stuff, we'd be for following you hard. And sure, we're going to have to speak out against things at times, Lord, but that can't define who we are. What needs to define who we are is that we're in love with you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. That needs to define who we are. And out of that kind of health and, and, and uh, forward-pushing kind of momentum, Lord, then I think we can address things that are around us. So would you raise up Grace Point, Lord? Would you raise up the people of Grace Point to just love you? Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and anoint their lives so that that power flows to them that, that's not of this world? Would you cause us to, to live our lives out loud for you and for your uh, fame and glory, Jesus, we do all these things. In your name I pray, amen.